to mini episode 68 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? We've got four gorgeous listener stories for you today. And the last story on today's episode is from June the 22nd, 2020. Are you ready? No. Story number one comes from Lucy. When I was 13, my family moved house. It wasn't an old building. It was only 20 odd years old, but built on the old ground of Henschel Hall. From the very first moment I stepped into the house, something felt odd. And right from the start, small things began to happen. I'm now 23 and I try to push most of the paranormal activity out of my mind, but there is one thing that I will never forget that has terrified me ever since. Within the first week of moving in, I would hear heavy footsteps in the loft pacing up and down. Things would move and disappear and reappear at a later date. Once my mum had washed her favourite day summertime dress and put it in her ironing pile ready to iron. When she got around to it, the dress was missing and it went missing for three weeks. She blamed me and my brother for hiding it, which of course we hadn't, and it finally turned up in a spare set of drawers which was empty and rarely used. The ghost liked to play games with us. As I was only 13 and scared, I decided I would give the ghost a ridiculous name. I was home alone and the washing machine, which wasn't running, was shaking. Quickly, the only thing I could think of to shout was, Gertrude, stop! Although the presence I felt was male, this was the only way I felt I could cope with what was happening. Immediately after shouting this, the washing machine stopped. It was the summer holidays. I had just finished my GCSEs, so I'd been off school for a while. My dad was working away and my brother was at a sleepover with his friends, so it was just me and my mum in the house. It was about 1am and my mum was asleep. I got up from being on my phone and went to turn the bedroom light off when I felt a small finger run down the bottom of my back. I panicked. However, I'd been trying not to acknowledge the activity in the house, as I knew it encouraged it. So I ignored it, feeling freaked out. I waited to turn off my bedroom light and sat back down on my bed with my phone. Eventually, I felt brave enough to turn the light off and go to sleep. In the morning, I got up and no one was home. My mum had gone to work, My dad was still working away and my brother was still at his friend's. I went for a shower. Halfway through my shower, the bathroom door handle slowly went down and released as the door slowly opened. Knowing it was Gertrude, I bravely said, Not today, Gertrude. I am not in the mood. And after saying this, the normal atmosphere came back to the room. Of all the things a 16-year-old girl decides to do on a warm day in July... I thought I would bake a cake. As the cake was cooking, I scrolled through my iPad when I heard, Hello? Coming from the utility door behind me. This leads to the back door, which we use instead of the front. And I said hello without turning around, expecting it to be my brother. And then I heard, Hello, Lucy. I turned around, but my brother wasn't there. Thinking he was trying to scare me, I went outside, and still no one was there. I brushed it off, ignored it, and started making myself some dinner. As it was cooking, I sat at the kitchen table and I heard it again. Hello, Lucy. Only this time it was from the other door which leads to the hall by the front door. To put it simply, I lost my shit. 
I rang my best friend almost in tears, saying the ghost was speaking to me, I'm scared, and could I spend the rest of the day at her house? After the phone call, I sorted myself out and braved going back in to put my phone on charge in my bedroom while I ate my dinner. I sat in the playroom, and once I'd finished, I turned off the TV, closed the door, headed upstairs to use the bathroom and to grab my phone. Once I'd finished in the bathroom, I walked across the landing to my room to get my phone, and as I did, I heard the voice again. Help me. Well, I grabbed my phone and bolted it to my friend's house, where I told her all of the details. She was aware of the activity in my house, as she has experienced it firsthand. With all of the panic, I couldn't remember if I'd locked the back door or not, so me and my friend walked back to mine to check before my mum got home. Luckily, I had locked the door. Curiosity got the better of me and I braved to look through the windows at the back. The playroom door, which I had shut before leaving, was open. I walked back to my friend and we sat on the front doorstep and waited for my mum. There was no chance in hell I was sleeping in the house that night. Once my mum came home, I told her what happened and she passed it off as nothing and told me not to say anything to my brother. My mum is a spiritual person and said... Maybe they just need help crossing over. I stayed the night at my friend's, and once I'd calmed down, I tried to rethink the incident, which I couldn't think of any explanation for. The only thing that truly set in was that the atmosphere felt different to the other paranormal activity that occurred, and this sounded like a little girl. Sorry, Dan. It turns out there were two entities in my house. The male, which I had felt since day one, and now this little girl's presence which I felt. The next day I went home. I went to my room and unpacked my stuff. I sat on the bed and said, Hi, look, I'm sorry I ran off yesterday. You scared me and I wasn't expecting you to talk to me. The room suddenly dropped in temperature and my apology was replied to. It's okay. Later that evening, my mum and my brother went to the shops and I was home alone again. As I said before, it was summer, and we were lucky in the UK to have a heatwave, when the temperature in the kitchen suddenly dropped. My arms were covered in goosebumps and I could feel the little girl's presence. I felt like I had to help her, so I spoke to her. Hello, I can sense that you're here, I said as the room suddenly dropped, the cold went back to being warm. In response, I said, no, it's okay, come back if you want to. If you need help, I'm willing to help you. Once I said this, the temperature dropped again, and just like a few seconds before, my arms were covered in goosebumps. Only this time, she didn't speak. I was sat on a chair with my legs up on another one closest to me, when I felt a small finger run down the length of the bottom of my foot. And then the coldness went. Not long after, my mum and my brother came home. Once Tom was out of the room, I told my mum in more depth about the day before and what happened when I got home. I also explained the difference in atmosphere to the usual things that occurred with Gertrude. She took it all in and said, It's weird that you should feel like it's a little girl. The other day I was in my room and I heard a little girl laughing. At first I told myself it was coming from the park, but as I listened more closely, it was definitely coming from downstairs. Over the next few months, I felt the little girl's presence in different rooms of the house. I called her Sarah, as that was the name that came to me. However, her presence within our house is no longer felt. 
I hope she's passed over and is finally resting in peace. As for the other entity, the man, he's still there. He now targets my brother since I have moved out, but the thought of that story still haunts me to this day. This story obviously has a resolution to it, which is positive, but I'm not here for another story about a little girl ghost. I don't care how nice she is or how you've been able to resolve it. It's No. Is it really a resolution, though, when the ghost has just gone on and haunted her brother? <laughs> to be honest, if it was one of my brothers, I'd be like, fucking have at him. Get haunted. I don't care. That's a different ghost, though. Little girl ghost is resolved. She touched, yeah, Lucy, touched the bottom of Lucy's foot and that healed her problems. Oh, well, listen, Lucy, you might have a business there in feet healing. I'm sure there's a market for it somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't deal with the very clear, lucid conversations that are going on between the ghost and Lucy. Yeah, that gave me the Mm heebie-jeebies. No, that's that's not good. Because usually we get, like, maybe taps or knocks or whatever, not conversations. Conversations is far too much. And I don't, I still, I will never understand the people who send in stories who say... To ghosts I don't mind you being here like I can help you no I'd be like sorry I do mind you being here frankly it's rude you are the guest that is overstaged they're welcome it's rude it's not good etiquette you need to leave now you'd never have to say that though because the ghost would be very clear that it's not welcome from the fact that I am now sobbing in the corner crying hysterically and just wailing in fact the ghost would probably leave of their own volition yeah they'd probably be like oh gosh this is this is a very dramatic overreaction to me flicking the light switch on and off like very dramatic and then it would not be in the ghost handbook they'd be like oh flicking through going shit what do i do he's wailing already i haven't even got to the setting things on fire bit yet he's already (laughs) sobbing also i feel like the best way to disarm a ghost is to call it gertrude oh brilliant good shout gertrude is a great name first of all and second of all a great name to call a ghost to make it seem less threatening you know because gertrude is a very nice older lady name i think you know so definitely less threatening before we start this next story i just want to give you a little warning that this story references child abuse and story number two comes from aaron i was born and raised in south london on clapham junction in 1984 it's not there anymore but i was raised on a high-rised council estate called peabody When I was around seven in 1991, my parents moved into a new flat. It was ground floor as my parents had me and other kids under three and another one on the way. They obviously didn't enjoy what was on the TV. Almost as soon as we moved into the flat, we all started to experience weird goings on which we couldn't explain. Things like if mum was washing up, the fridge freezer doors would open behind her while my brothers and I were in the bedroom playing. Or every night, at five past seven, the stifling, overbearing smell of cigars would fill the living room. My mum told us she regularly heard the sound of footsteps of someone coming out of my brother's room, walking the length of the hallway, stopping where the coat rack was for a few seconds, then carrying on to the front door, and then... nothing. Except the entrance hallway being really cold to the point of being able to see your breath. Around the summer of 1992, my second youngest brother was two years old and he started to wake up every night at bang on 20 past 11. You could set your watch by him. He would wake up in hysterics, screaming and crying uncontrollably, but with no reason my parents could work out. 
they would soothe him and he would go back to sleep. After about two weeks of this, my dad decided to sleep on the floor next to my brother to see if my dad being in the room would soothe him. My dad was woken at 20 past 11, to the bedroom going really cold. But as soon as he had woken up, the room starts to warm up, so he thought it was just due to being asleep on the floor. The following night, my dad slept on the bedroom floor once again, but instead of being woken at 20 past 11 by the cold, he was awoken by a searing burning on his right leg and the smell of burning skin. He jumped up, turned the light on, to find a four inch long and one centimetre wide burn on his leg. But there was no burn hole to the joggers that he was wearing. My mum, who was a believer in the paranormal, started doing some digging and found out that the last family left the flat as their kids appeared to have experienced the same issues. Mum contacted her aunt, who was a medium in Newcastle, and over the phone, my great-aunt, a proper stoic Geordie woman who never got upset, started to sob, saying, He's evil. You need to get the babies out of there. He wants them on his list. My great-aunt told my mum to burn sage and do other stuff like try to talk to this evil man and encourage him to go to the light to see his loved ones again. My dad mentioned how he thought my mum was cracking up to his friend, one of the caretakers on the estate. But dad's friend told my dad that my mum wasn't the first to experience this in this flat. The disturbances continued for another week before my great-aunt came to London on the train to help us out with our problem. And when she arrived at the flat, she froze and took several minutes to come in stating that the evil was palpable. Anyway, she came in and us kids were cleared off to our nana's house with dad and mum and her aunt setting about trying to get rid of the problem. My aunt told my mum that the man was about five foot four with a bald head, really thick glasses, a scruffy suit and tie and he walked with a walking stick and a limp. My aunt apparently spoke with him and after several hours he went to the light and we never heard or had any issues after this. My parents spoke with several people around the estate to see if they could find out anything about this man that had been haunting the family. Dad's friend that I mentioned earlier, he had been a caretaker on the estate for over 40 years, said after Dad gave him a description that there was a little old man matching that description who used to live in our flat in the late 60s who was brutally killed in the flat by the dad of a child he had molested and branded with a piece of heated metal coat hanger. It came out after he died that he had molested and branded upwards of 12 children ranging from 2 to 5 years old in his lifetime. My parents were shocked, horrified and saddened to hear this as it seemed like the evil man was trying to get to my 2 year old brother from the afterlife. The burn my dad experienced on his leg genuinely scarred him and nearly 30 years later, he still has that scar on his leg. A bit of a dark turn to the truth behind the story or the the origin of the haunting is pretty dark. Yeah, that is pretty horrific really, isn't it? Yeah, Uh, but but fascinating nonetheless in terms of the haunting. I, I don't even... How do you explain away the burn mark on the dad's leg that's crazy i can't even think of even a slightly you know i 
hold my hands up at this point and say that my logical brain is is not very big uh, and I'm always more likely to lean towards the fantastical. However, I am using my logical brain and I'm struggling to work out what could have caused a burn on his leg like that without causing some kind of damage to the clothing that was covering it. It's interesting because they, the parents obviously had no prior knowledge of this man that had lived in the house because I think if they had known what had happened in the house or the kind of person that lived there and, and the end that he came to, you'd maybe go, oh, maybe that was feeding into their understanding of what, what, what was happening. But they obviously had no idea until after everything had happened, which is pretty horrific. And for something to burn you to leave a scar 30 years later, that's a pretty serious burn. That's not just a, a burn you get off the oven, you know what I mean? Or when Zach Bagans says he get, he got burned by a demon or he's got three scratches or whatever and it's gone by the next morning. That is significant hmm. if he still has a scar to this day. And that is terrifying. I do love that we've got another real sort of uh, eclectic, again, terrible choice of word, but eclectic great aunt character here that comes in touch with the spirits can sense that something's not right over the phone makes a point of coming down which is a long journey from newcastle to london long journey particularly in the 90s makes a point to come down has trouble going in clears the kids off to the grand- granny and then takes cares takes care of business sends the fellow on his way yeah a, a tough geordie woman that's what all problems need that is the answer to all problems but i i think i do think like it, obviously this man was you know the things that he did are the deeds of an evil person to hurt children in that way so if there ever was going to be a spirit that you don't fucking want in your house it's somebody who is capable of doing those things while they were alive so i can understand her being like oh we need to get this sorted right now and story number three comes from lou In 2010 and at the grand age of 20, my world got turned upside down and I lost both of my parents to cancer within three months of one another. It was a rough time, but we got through both of the cremations and started slowly to get back to some kind of new normal. My parents were separated at the time of their deaths and I had a real arsehole of a stepfather. Long story short, he behaved appallingly after the loss of my mother kept all of her money, her house and basically anything else that he could. As my mother didn't have a will, there was nothing we could do about any of it and he ended up with everything. He even went so far as to keep my mother's ashes in a box in his house for months after the funeral, hidden away from any family including her three children. He did this despite her making it known that she wanted her ashes to be scattered in a place very special to our original family unit. My father had also requested for his ashes to be scattered in the same area, which we did. We scattered his ashes first, despite him dying after my mother so you can get some kind of idea of how long my stepfather held on to her ashes. My stepfather's logic for keeping my mother's ashes was because he didn't want her to be in the same place as my father. Kinda get it, but he's still a dick. Anyway... One evening after scattering my father's ashes, I was fast asleep in bed with my boyfriend when he nudged me awake to tell me that my mobile phone was ringing. It was one of those old black and orange Sony Ericsson Walkman phones with a small caller ID window on the front. In my half-asleep state, I rolled over and half-opened one eye to see that the caller ID window was just a solid blue colour but had no writing or name showing up. 
I shut my eyes somewhere between sleep and awake and answered my phone, mumbling something along the lines of hello. The conversation that followed would stay with me for the rest of my life. Hello darling, it's dad. Now at the point of hearing my dead father on the end of the phone, you would think I would be freaked out and wide awake. But I wasn't. I wasn't scared or even bothered by the fact that he was on the other end of the phone. It was just as if he was the most normal thing in the world. And I remember feeling quite comfortable with the fact that I was talking to him. I do remember him sounding slightly static and far away, almost as if he had me on speaker and was far away from the phone. He went on to say that he was safe and happy and thanked me for scattering his ashes where he wanted and told me that he loved me very much but that I had to do something for him. He told me to make sure that my mother's ashes were scattered as soon as I could. I asked if she was okay and if she was there. He said that she was in the same place as he was and that she was okay but when I asked to talk to her he said I couldn't until I had done as he had asked but again said that she was there and she was okay. I told him I would try to do as he asked. He told me again that I had to do it and repeated, promise me darling, you need to promise me. Again I said I would do all that I could. He then said he trusted me and missed me very much, but that he is around more than I know and he would come and see me soon. We exchanged I love yous and he hung up. As if nothing had happened, I put my phone down, rolled over and went back to sleep. I woke up the next morning thinking I had the most lucid dream and comforting dream of my life and didn't really think anything more of it. That was until my boyfriend asked me who had called me at that time of night. I stopped, turned to him and asked him, What do you mean nobody called me? Well, someone did, he said. Your phone ring and woke me up and you were talking to someone, I heard you. I have to admit at that point I was pretty taken aback and went to check my phone again thinking that maybe it was a cold caller or something and in my half-asleep state, I'd mumbled down the phone to a PPI robot. I flipped my phone open and looked at my call register. And sure enough, there on the screen was a 10-minute incoming phone call at 3am with no caller ID. At no point have I ever felt uneasy at the thought of this call being from my father, and I haven't really discussed it with anyone because people would think I'm crazy but I know that you two have heard much worse. My sister later went to a medium. I know, I know, mixed views on these and I'm not sure how I feel about them either. During her visit, she was asked if her youngest sister lived at a house number 20. She said she wasn't sure and she would check. She was then told that my dad was going to visit his daughter at number 20 as he promised when he spoke to her. And sure enough, I lived at number 20 at the time. I never did get to scatter my mother's ashes like my father had asked me to, as my stepfather scattered them without our knowledge and still refuses to disclose the location. It's okay, I'm sure karma will get him eventually. Another technology story, very close to when we did an episode on technology, very serendipitous. This story would be so, like, in the way that Lou did, it would be so easy to sort of say, well, you know, it's part of a dream or... You know, it's a nice, you know, and, and maybe her dad communicated to her in a dream and, you know, you can talk about it from that aspect. But then you get the, the really solid corroboration of a fella asking her who she was on the phone to and remembering the call and being woken up by it. And there being a call log 
I can't handle that. I cannot handle it. Because you can't, you could totally understand, like our story on Wednesday, where you would say that, that dreams are your subconscious's way of, of bringing to the fore the things that maybe you're not saying out loud, things that are causing you upset in your life or things that are causing you, you know, trauma or whatever. So you could understand that she woke up and went, oh, that dream was really comforting about my dad and I'm really struggling with this issue with my mum's ashes and all of that. But then, like you said, to have that call log that says you had a 10 minute conversation with somebody last night. And the boyfriend as well. And the boyfriend as well, like, yeah. It's just like double whammy. And you know, I, I don't know. Oh, man, I couldn't cope with that. It does really creep me out. Like, I know it's really comforting in this story because, like, obviously, it's a, it's, it was an opportunity to talk to her dad after we passed. Like, what an amazing opportunity. But it's, it's so creepy. And, like, it just makes me not want to have a phone anymore. <laughs> I think as well, like, you probably don't really need to have a phone because any time I ring you, you don't answer it. So. Whoa, shade. <laughs> um, I can't, I've lost my train of thought there. I was just so shady. Oh, whether or not these things are paranormal or whether they're your brain doing amazing things, well, I just don't think it really matters. I think what matters is the feeling that it leaves you with. And if it leaves you feeling comforted, brilliant. Obviously, if it leaves you feeling fucking traumatized, then you say, that's just a dream and I'm fine. But if it leaves you feeling comforted, then just embrace it for what it is. But Lou can never do that. Because her boyfriend heard her talking on the phone and she has a call log. So she can never say it was just a dream. (laughs) And story number four comes from Brit. I'll preface this by saying that I come from a family of empaths. If you believe in that sort of thing. All of the women in my family have dreams about something that's going to happen or have strange feelings. My mom and I frequently call each other because we have had a bad feeling. Two years ago, my mum called me because she had this wrenching feeling in her gut and she just knew something was wrong. I was in the hospital at the time because I had just been hit by a truck while walking to work. I hadn't even had the chance to call anyone yet. Another instance was the night before my great-grandmother died this past March. I had a dream that there was a banshee standing outside of her house and shrieking so loudly that it woke me up. She died the next morning. Those are just a couple of the instances that have happened with my family's intuition and I feel that that has played a big role in my sensitivity to the paranormal. I've never really been haunted but I feel that I've been visited. What I mean by that is that it's never been a long-lasting haunting by a singular ghost, just a few incidents with various ones. My name is Britt and I come from a small town called Duncan in Oklahoma. The earliest memory I have of a ghost is when I was in elementary school. My mother worked early, so I always rode a bus back and forth to school. It was on the bus that I met her. Now, I was very young, so I don't quite remember the first encounter. All I remember is that she was my childhood friend, Maria. Maria was a girl aged about seven years old. She wore a pretty white dress with a blue ribbon bow tied around her waist and her dark hair was in large ringlets with a matching blue ribbon. Maria used to sit beside me on the bus and keep me company on the short ride. I don't remember much about her, other than the fact that I 100% knew that she was dead, and she had these purplish-black bruises around her neck, which stood out drastically against her ashen-grey skin. Nothing out of the ordinary ever happened with Maria, and eventually we moved houses so I rode a different bus to school. Maria didn't follow. Now I know what we are all thinking. 
I was a young child with an imaginary friend and I would think that too. But fast forward to my junior year of high school. I had forgotten all about Maria and went on with my life. Until one morning, I boarded the bus and nearly dropped the books that I was carrying. Sitting in one of the seats near the front, looking right at me, was a pale little girl in a white dress with a blue ribbon in her dark hair. Needless to say, I didn't sit with her. The interesting thing is that the bus number I was on was bus 64. It was the same bus I rode in elementary school. Maria never showed up again, and it was like she was telling me not to forget about her. Alright, no more creepy ghost children, I promise. For the next bit, you need a little bit of backstory. When I was in middle school, after a nasty divorce with my mom and my stepfather, my family found ourselves homeless, so we moved in with my great-grandmother. Now my grandmother's house is small, a two-bedroom, and at the time there was 11 people living there. My great-grandparents, my nana, four of my cousins, an aunt, and then my mom, my brother, and myself. My grandparents had their own room. My mom worked nights at this time, so she wasn't home for bedtime. My brother, two of my cousins, and my aunt slept in the living room, and my nana, two cousins, and myself slept together in the other bedroom. My nana couldn't sleep without some sort of music, so we always turned the stereo on to the local classical music station when we slept. And without fail, every single night at around two in the morning, the stereo would blast full volume playing the song It's My Party by Leslie Gore. Those of you not familiar, it's the It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To song. It would scare the absolute shit out of us and wake us from a dead sleep. And this went on for several weeks, lots of sleepless nights. My grandmother's house had always been kind of special. Every photo we have ever taken there has some form of orb floating with the family members or in doorways. I know Emma doesn't believe in orbs, but it was odd. No matter where in the house, it was always there. And we like to think it was my great-great-grandma Sugar. I know that was a lot of context for such a small thing and I'll keep this last one shorter this time. My family had finally gotten stable and we moved to this small town right outside of Duncan called Velma. I only ever had one experience there, but it was more than enough. I don't remember the reason, but I was at home one night watching Silence of the Lambs on my big box television. At this point, I was around 13. I wasn't scared or creeped out by being home alone until while I was watching the TV, it shut off. Thinking nothing of it, I used the remote to turn it back on again, and it stayed on for about 30 seconds and then shut off. This happened a couple of more times until my frustration overcame my laziness and I got up to make sure the plug was still secure in the socket. So I get up, look at the plug, it's fine and secure. I pushed the power button on the TV, thinking maybe the button on the remote was getting jammed when I was turning the TV back on. And I stood up, turned around to go back to my chair and I froze on the spot. Standing just beyond the doorway in the hallway was a solid black figure of a man about six foot tall with the outline of a wide-brimmed hat. My heart stopped in my chest and my blood turned cold. And then the TV turned off behind me and the man was gone. I sat on the floor by the TV staring at the hallway until my mom came home. Obviously, super terrifying for Brit in the moment. However, I do feel that this is the least intimidating version of the man with wide-brimmed hat that we've had so far, in that his only mission appears to be to turn off the TV. It's very annoying, 
There's definitely not as sinister as some of the manifestations of him that we've said had before. We'll also say she's 13 years old watching Silence of the Lambs. So maybe he was like, hang on, this is not appropriate for your age group. Silence of the Lambs, as we all know, traumatized me when I was a child. Uh, granted, I was like fucking five or something. Thanks you very much, John. Uh, but yeah, so maybe, the, maybe actually the man in the white brim hat is trying to stop her from watching Silence of the Lambs. Yes, he's just doing the parental absentia thing but i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> no i know what you mean he's he's being being a parent when their parents aren't physically there yes gotcha. yep uh another little girl ghost why why do you do this to me people why are they so prevalent why do they always sound like mr burns dressed as a little person why 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 is it like this this story is so creepy and as Britta herself said, you could definitely write it off as just a young child having an imaginary friend. And on a little side note, how blessed must it be to be a little child and not be freaked out by the fact that the person you're talking to is very clearly dead and has bruises on her neck. That's fine, she's chatting to you, so all is good. You could write that off as a childhood imaginary friend, but as Britt quite rightly said, how do you account for a reappearing five, six years later? Imagine getting on that bus and seeing her face <laughs> i'd just be like maria not today okay i've grown out of you we're not friends anymore she that girl must be attached to the bus which makes me wonder why or what happened oh it's just very sad yeah well, she murdered on the bus it's very sad yeah i would feel obliged to talk to her though you know you would, i'm you're so polite. polite and awkward I'd have to, I'd make a point of sitting next to her and just have a really awkward conversation. When <laughs> Hello, <you're>... Maria. <laughs> How are you? It's been a long time since I've, are you still dead? That'd be your conversation. <laughs> and it would be so more awkward because I'd be of the age where I'd be socially conscious of the fact that other people can't see who I'm talking to either, which would just make it a really, really awkward moment. I'd be crying at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so fair play to you, Britt, for just having the... Wherewithal to just walk on past and just pretend that everything is okay when it's clearly not. Oh, or you'd be like Stan in uh, South Park and just vom, you know, like every time Wendy spoke to him, he used to get sick. <laughs> I, I mean, this is this is like a sketch from a comedy and I'm enjoying it in my head. It's making me laugh. I just can't imagine being Brit though and just seeing it again. It must no, have, no, I mean, for Brit, it must be awful. Or... Yeah, like absolutely horrendous. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye. Bye.